time for Cigar Talk, the fastest growing cigar show in the nation. Whether you're a new cigar enthusiast or a cigar aficionado, we have something for everyone, bringing you the best interviews, cigar reviews, and weekly giveaways. So grab yourself a cigar. It's time to light them up. Welcome back to Cigar Talk. I'm your host, Rob Jones. We got co-host Bryant Falconer in the studio today. How you doing today, Bryant? Hey man, I'm doing good. Doing good. Awesome, man. So let's just jump right on it. What are you smoking tonight? Uh, Rocky Patel's 801. Rocky, and it's a barber pole. Yes, sir. Now, what ring gauge is that? It's about a... Looks like about a 58, Yeah, 56, 56 58. Anyway, uh, I am smoking a Padron 1964. He always has to outdo me. Oh, <laughs> it's you make it easy most of the time uh, though by bringing out the uh, fat bottom bed. Uh, uh, cigar pulpit. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> hey, you know what? He told me cigar pulpit said don't be bashing on the Betty, yeah. and I said he must be from where you're from. Where's he from? And he Il- said Illinois. Illinois. And I was like, boom, Illinois. there you go. But anyway. And then also, like I said on the video earlier, uh, I'm drinking uh, Four Roses, the small batch, which was sent over by our special guest today, which is uh, Richard Carlton Hacker, the author of the Ultimate Cigar Book. And this book first came out in 1994. So this is going way back. Yes. You're talking 25 years. Yes, man. Uh, One of the things that we wanted to jump on right off the bat is let's talk about the new equipment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because the Patreons help make that possible. And we thank you. And, thank you. man, let me tell you, the editing, like on mine and your part, uh-huh. is so much easier because it's just so clear. Now, I do have to say you got to watch the pops. Mm-hmm. So when you say peas, bees, whatever, mm-hmm. but and I probably get a windscreen like that, yes, for and both put on both of these mm-hmm. because it is kind of sensitive to that. But as far as the audio quality and the sound, dude, it was spot on. So that made my life a lot better. So thank you guys to <laughs> all the Patreons that help you. us yes. each month with some of our uh, upgrades and just paying the rent. <laughs> and by paying the rent, I mean making <laughs> it easier easy for me to edit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So anyway, guys, uh, let's see. Coming up, we've got the game show, which we're going to do. Oh, man, I want to talk about this Detroit has a riverfront and so they have a really nice like place where you can have festivals oh yeah they had one the smoke on the river uh so i read an article today okay that just blasted it talking about oh that's what we want our city to do is be having a bunch of cigar smoke all over the place it's out first of all it's an outdoor festival You know what I mean? And I read the whole article, and I was just like, holy smokes, this guy doesn't know. And he said, you don't see other cities across America having cigarette, chewing tobacco, and cigar festivals. And I was like, okay, you don't see cigarette festivals? No chewing tobacco. And you know why? Because they're different. They're not the same. They're not. Nowhere near. You know what I mean? Nowhere near. And so, and you know, down at the bottom, I did have to make a couple of comments. One was he went on and on about cigars and cancer and i did have to go and copy and paste the fda's finding that smoking one to two cigars a day raises your chances of getting cancer to kneel Mm -hmm. zero education education right i mean and this guy and he tells a little bit about his story he was a cigarette smoker and he got cancer cigarettes and that's and that was one of my comments. Uh-huh. I said cigars don't belong in the Mm-mm. same breath as nope, cigarettes and chewing tobacco. Correct. It's totally different. And so, you know, I understand he's a cancer survivor. I'm glad <laughs> and, he and you know pulled the through that. Right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that just drives me crazy when people lump all tobacco products mm-hmm. into one. Mm-hmm. And oh, he also threw in the vapes. So it was cigarettes, <laughs> chewing tobacco, vapes, and then cigars. And I was like, no, that's but the funny thing is, I went down and read the comments, and I was not the only one that was disturbed. Yeah, good, good. And so that means there are other people out there that understand and know and have been educated and are willing to speak up about it because that's the problem. If you don't talk about it, they're still going to be ignorant to it. They're not going to know the truth, and they'll they'll be the ones out there spreading all the information, which is incorrect information. Right. So well, and the other kudos. thing, kudos. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I just said. Sounds like a great place to have a cigar festival. Dude, on the riverfront, man. Yes. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that 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 damp air, which will tamp down a lot of the smoke. But you also have that 
you're on the beach because they they have a mini beach out there also. It's just like in Chicago. See, I've never right been off, to Detroit. Right off, right off the lakes and everything, man. And it's it's just it's an opportunity, especially for a city that's trying to regrow. You trying well, to pull people in? That's what I was in. thinking. Yeah, you're right. trying to pull people in, and, and festivals and things like this bring uh, bring currency. It brings a different light to the city again, and that's what you want. If if you want your city to come back, you have to be able to draw people to it. Absolutely. All right. So uh, anyway, hey, you hear that sound? You know what time it is? Yes, sir. Hey, thanks for calling Cigar Talk. Who do we have with us? Vic Anderson. Hey, Vic. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. How are hey. you? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, we're just doing the show and smoking cigars and having a little Four Roses. So yes. sounds like a pretty good evening, doesn't it? Yes, sir. It sure does. Hey, so uh, in case everybody doesn't know, Vic is uh, a representative with Cigars for Warriors, mm-hmm. and he was up at the Leaf last, or what, Thursday? Thursday, yes, sir. With the uh, Oliva event. Sir. And we just want to say thank you for coming down and doing your part. Man, it was a great event, and you helped make it a really good event, man. Thank Truly you. appreciate it. Truly. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Yes, it was a great event, and lots lots of good customers there, and everybody did a good job, Jay, and, and the gentleman Paul from Oliva. So, yeah, good time was had by all awesome man well hey so are you calling in to answer the trivia question <laughs> well i'm calling in to try to answer the trivia question we'll see how tough it is it's really not that tough no it isn't if you well i'll put it this way if you listen to the show <laughs> it's not that tough so okay, i should do okay then here we go vic the question is what is Brian's ambassador coin number. Oh, jeez. I know it's lower than yours. Oh, all right. That doesn't count. That does not count. (laughs) It's like 150-something, maybe. Uh, All right, I'm going to give you one more chance. It's higher than that. 220. You lose, man. You lose. Brian, tell him the correct answer. 165. 165. Oh, man, I was closer on my first guess. I know. But was I right, though? It's lower than yours. Yes, it is lower than mine. So, hey, man, we appreciate you listening, and thanks for taking the time to call. And uh, we really appreciate all you do with Cigars for Warriors, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you guys both. I'll talk to you all later. All right. Take care of yourself. We got another call. Welcome to Cigar Talk. Who do we have on the line? It's Charlie. Charlie Serrano. Hey, Charlie. How you doing, brother? Doing good. How are y'all? We're doing fantastic, man. Are you off this weekend? No, I'm actually calling you from work. Oh, <laughs> nice. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's go ahead and get going. Hey, so what we're doing is we're asking a trivia question. And if you can answer the trivia question, we're going to give you two free tickets to the Cigar and Spirits Festival October 12th in Fort Worth at Panther Island. Okay. And, uh, me and Brian are both going to be there and uh, we're just going to have a great time. It's going to be cigars and spirits. So yes. what more could you want, right? Right. All right, man. So here's the question. What is my favorite McAuliffe cigar? Oh, you have spoke so many of them. Uh, I would say the McDowell. Boom! Yes. We have a winner. <laughs> nice. That's good. Yes. See? Now, as a bonus question, can you tell me Bryant's McAuliffe medallion number? Oh, shoot. <laughs> I saw it just the other day. Uh, two, I want to say 233. <laughs> no, his is 165. Okay. We gave that question to another caller. Day. Yes. You ought to see it like every day because he's over there posting pictures more than anybody I know. So, well, I'm awesome. telling you. Let me know if you can make it up to the festival. When you get there, just give me a call and yeah. I'll come meet you at the gate and I'll get you in and we'll go hang out and smoke cigars, brother. All right. Well, we were actually planning on showing up. All right. Yes. We even better. Now yes. you got tickets, brother. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, man. Well, we're going to get back to it. Don't you work too hard, man. I uh, sure won't. All right. Take care, Charlie. Good talking to you. <laughs> you too, sir. Thank you. All right, All right guys. So uh, we had a couple of callers. One of them won tickets and one of them didn't. Vic, sorry about that, but you got to pay attention when you listen to the show. You just yes, can't sir. be driving down the road smoking cigars. <laughs> anyway, 
Hey, uh, coming up next, we've got the interview with Richard Carlton Hacker. He wrote The Ultimate Cigar Book. And I tell you what, man, he sent me the book, and it's really impressive. The guy's been, and, and they're on their fourth edition. They yes. just released the fourth edition. And so it's it's just a real impressive book. It covers anything you could want to know. Uh, I told him whenever I talked to him, I wish I would have had this book when I started out. Most definitely. Would have saved me a lot of time and saved me definitely a lot of money. So anyway, guys. Guys, hang in right after the break. We'll be back with Richard Carlton Hacker. Hey guys, thanks for hanging through the break. We have a special guest with us today. He's written several books. He's a cigar aficionado expert. He is also a connoisseur and expert on spirits. He knows pipe tobaccos. We are very lucky to have him on the show. I hope you guys enjoy it, but I've got Mr. Richard Carlton Hacker on the line. How are you doing today, Richard? Hey, Rob, it's, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me and uh, and all your, your podcaster rights for listening in, if that is a word. I don't know. Really happy to have you. I've been looking at your uh, first book, The Ultimate Cigar Book. I tell you what, it gives me a lot of great ideas just for some podcast topics, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, great. I'm glad to hear that. Tell us a little bit about how you became an expert. How did you get interested in cigars? And l- l- before we get started, I just want to say I love the preface in your book right off the bat. Uh, I assume that was to your wife? Yes, of course. (laughs) Well, I I assume that, but uh, let me see if I can read this right quick. It says, to my lovely and long-suffering wife, Joan, who has encouraged and natured the passion I have for cigars. Never once has she shown the slightest hint of jealousy. And I think that's amazing, man, because I, I've been in the cigar industry long enough to know there's a lot of guys out there and their wives completely despise cigars. And I am also very blessed to have a wife that just lets me do what I want to do and have fun with cigars. Well, we're, we're both very lucky, Rob, and uh, and I was lucky. Uh, you know, you, you, back in college and, and after college, you start you know dating, you know, semi-seriously, you know, uh, and it's always funny because, like, first date you go out and you probably don't smoke a cigar, and uh, second date you say, uh, "You mind if I smoke a cigar?" And oh no, oh no! So you smoke one, and then the, the, the third date they're sitting on the opposite end of the car, and and then there is no fourth date. I mean, that's it, you know. But with Joan, she never said a word. Loved the cigar smoke. And I mean, I was glad. And then I, you know, we started getting serious and she took me home to meet her folks. And that's when I discovered her dad smoked cigars, which is why she didn't mind it. Very nice. She was used to it. She grew up with it. So, you know, I guess my advice is marry someone whose spouse is a cigar smoker and you're all right. Yeah, you know, it was uh, the son of a preacher man and now the daughter of a cigar smoker. Exactly right. And what's really funny is uh, um, her dad used to smoke these really cheap El Productos because that's all they could afford. You know, we we both came from, uh, I guess now they call them middle class families, but we were not wealthy by any means. So, uh, I mean, I began smoking Robert Burns in college, you know, 10 cents a stick, and then I graduated to... Uh, Anthony and Cleopatra Grenadiers, and then I, you know, I never forget my first good cigar was after, well, well after the Cuban embargo, you couldn't get, you couldn't get Havana tobacco, and uh, the Honduran-made Oyo de Monterey came in a box, and on the lid it said, "Made with real Havana tobacco," and I said, "Whoa, what's this all about?" So I bought one. I think at that time it was like I don't know three bucks a stick, which was a lot of money. Wow, yeah. A lot of money. And uh, I smoked it and said, holy cow, this is, I've never had anything like this. And you know, Rob, I never went back and I formulated a philosophy I still keep to this day, uh, although, thank God, I'm making a lot more money and I can smoke a lot more cigars, but I would rather smoke one good cigar a week than seven bad ones. Oh, absolutely. And, And so... So when uh, I used to bring her dad, going back to the story, I'd bring bring him these really nice cigars, sometimes better at the time that I was smoking, and and he he didn't like them. 
because they were one, they were all pure long leaf tobacco. He was used to smoking those mild machine made short filler uh, El Productos. And so, you know, he did me a favor by smoking them. But uh, he, I found out later he, he really would rather <laughs> have the cheaper ones. So I just kept the good for myself. <laughs> hey, well, you know, and it's funny because you say that. I mean, people like what they like. We uh, unfortunately just lost a brother of the leaf uh, several weeks ago. And, oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well, thank you. But uh, we called him 530 Fred because every day at 530 he's come walking in the door and he smoked for years but he always smoked a two dollar and 30 cent cigar and i even bought him some you know good quality cigars before and then he always went right back to his two dollar and 36 because you know you get what you're used to and that's what you like so well exactly yeah and that's the way it should be you know i mean there's a a uh, a big thing especially during the cigar boom uh People would be buying these really, you know, expensive Cubans and, and uh, top of the line uh, Davidoffs, and when they could get them, they'd be the they get the Opus X, they flash them around, and they may not always have liked them, but they flash the bands around. Nowadays, you still buy those cigars, but you only buy them because that's what you really like to smoke. So it's a whole different, you know, ball game now than it was back then when people were trying to kind of show off. Well, as, as long as you've been in the cigar industry, what a progression we're in today where there's just thousands of cigars to choose from versus, what, a few, probably 30, oh, yeah, 40, we, 50? We have more cigars today than, than we've ever had in the, in the history of cigar making. It's just amazing. I mean, I can't keep up with them that Last chapter in my cigar book, uh, International Compendium of Cigar, uh, cigar Brands. I mean, that's almost out of date the minute I finish writing it because old brands drop out, new brands jump in. You cannot keep up with the stuff anymore. Oh, no. I mean, there's a new cigar coming out every week, it seems like. Oh, um, yeah, at least. At least, yeah. I get I get emails. I get notices. Um, yeah, it, it's just crazy. And, I'm, you know, if you're a, a new cigar smoker, yeah, the, wow, where, where do I start? Where, where, what do I do? Um, and, of course, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book way back when. Uh, this is before all this happened, of course. But uh, I wrote it because it was the book I always wanted to you know, teach me. You know, what do you look for in a cigar? How do you pick a cigar? How do you cut a cigar? How do you light a cigar? And um, uh, I know you had said earlier that, you know, you go into the book, you had some ideas for, for future uh, podcast and that's a great compliment uh, to me quite frankly because when I wrote this book the first time uh, came out in 1992 no 93 I'm sorry just started the, it started the cigar boom or part of what started the cigar boom came out in 93 and uh, before I sent it off to be printed I reread through the whole manuscript and asked myself what haven't I answered what question would somebody want to know that isn't in here and if i found it i put it in the book and of course the first edition came out and um, knock on wood sold out within like three weeks because wow. uh, cigars were hot surprised everybody including me pleasantly i might say um but then i wrote a second edition and before i did that i had enough feedback i added some more things in there you know uh there was a third edition and i added more things you know uh, the book i think you've got the one with the black cover uh, that's the new fourth edition, which is actually in its third printing, which shows you cigar smoking is on the rise again. And uh, that uh, that is pretty much where it's at, except for that compendium chapter is complete. But again, new cigars have come in since then. And I've changed a few things like, you know, Castro passed away. So I had to update that. Right. I had him in there, you know. In, in the present tense, now he's in the past tense. <laughs> so I do little minor things like that. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, after looking through your book, I just got it, and I'm looking forward to reading it from cover to cover. But when I basically skimmed through to look at some different topics, what I thought of is, man, this book would have saved me a lot of time and money if I would have had it when I started. <laughs> well, I'd like to hear that because, I, again, that's, that's one of the reasons I wrote it. Uh, I just, you know, there's too much misinformation. And you have to understand, uh, when I wrote this the first time, 1992, there was no internet. I know it's hard for a lot of your listeners to kind of grasp that, the younger ones especially, us older guys, we remember when, but uh, there was no internet, and there was no source to go to to get this information, um, other than to go to libraries and look for books. Well, 
how many cigar books were there back then? There was a Zeno Davidoff's book, which was written, I think, in 1957. So it was wow. totally out of date and totally Cuban-focused, uh, just before Davidoff went to the DR. And uh, there wasn't anything out there. So I was lucky enough to, having been raised in um, in Arizona, I spoke just enough Spanish to get me into the tobacco fields and to talk to some of the torcedores and to start finding things out. And I traveled to uh, Cuba and I went to Honduras. I went to the Dominican. Uh, I went to, you know, Nicaragua. Uh, they were still shooting at me. And I, I recount that in my book, I think. Uh, I got shot at by the Sandinistas. But, oh, uh, kidding. After a small, small price to pay, Rob, for the information I, I gathered. <laughs> I'll tell you this right now. Even though the Internet is available, you can go to any cigar shop, and when people are talking about advice or knowledge on cigars, you really got to cut through the bullshit. <laughs> You're so right. I mean, you know, you're sitting around with guys that smoke cigars every day. Plus the internet. You know, there are no fact checkers on the internet. You can put anything on there, and we've all seen it. Some of it's true. Some of it is so blatantly false. Uh, it, it just makes me cringe. So, yeah, first-hand information is the best, but I understand you can't do that all the time, and a lot of people can't be as lucky as I was who I was, you know, travel, of course, over the course of years to all these third world countries. And I was lucky to know a lot of the cigar makers, many of them now long gone. But, uh, yeah, I had, I did it from, from the ground up. And now, of course, you know, it's all, oh, boy, you just went to the library. I know. I went to the library. Are we checking out my book? And, uh, <laughs> So, so, and and again, the internet. I just urge caution on that. I know when I used to write uh, for Playboy, uh, it sounds funny, but you know, people always joke. Oh, I just get the magazine for the articles. But of all the magazines that I've written for and that I write for, um, Playboy did the most fact checking. I'd have like six or seven girls call me up named Brandy or Jewel or Heather, and they'd be asking me all these questions about anything I wrote. You know, if I said uh, Columbus discovered America in 1492, they said, well, how do you know? Is this how Columbus spells his name? I said, well, I, I never met him. I don't know. And and then they'd say, how do you know it's 1492? And then you know, they would just pin you down on everything uh, they could, and that was good. I mean, it was you know, it was frustrating to me as a writer, but it was good for the reader because anything you read in Playboy was fact checked. Um, and my cigar book, of course, I fact check it. My wife fact checked it, and then I had another fact checker fact check it. Um, and even then, you know, the first two editions, we found a couple of things. And said, oh man, how did that slip by? Well, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because you know, in the world of internet, where anyone can have a blog, anybody can write an article. Uh, just not very long ago someone posted this uh topic that said something along the lines of you know we receive so many of our pharmaceuticals from this country and blah 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 and i was like that seems really high i said where can i find that data and they were like it's not up for debate it's fact and i was like okay but where can i find that data you know i mean people can just write whatever they want to and everybody's expected to take it for the truth excellent point excellent point and i think if people are aware of that then you start to get into a little more of a realistic view of this mass market uh, information that isn't always mass market. Well, I, I was shocked at how like angry this person came back at me, and I was like, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I would just like to read the actual data. You know what I mean? Well, that's another thing about the, the Internet per se and, and these blogs. I mean, I don't do blogs. I don't get on it one because it's personally, it's, for me, it's too time-consuming. Um, I have to translate my time. It sounds sounds mercenary, but I have to translate my time into money because if I am not writing, I'm not making money, or I'm not traveling, I'm not getting information that I can write about. But a uh, couple of people have put me onto blogs when people, believe it or not, have said bad things about me, and I don't know why, but... And I, I ignore these things because I don't even know about them, but once in a while I'll have a good Samaritan say, you know, Richard... This is getting out of hand. You might want to have to respond to this. I go, oh, well. So on two cases, I got on there. And like you said, Rob, I was amazed at, at the vindictiveness of these people. And the reason they're that way is that they're not confronting you. I guarantee you, whoever was nasty to you would not be that nasty if you were facing them eye to eye. They wouldn't. 
but here they've got this cloak of, you know, an anonymity. Right. You don't know who they are. You can't get to them. You can't punch them in the nose. You can't hug them. You can't do anything. They don't have the guts to say that to your face. But they're, you know, with the cloak of the uh, Internet, they go, oh, yeah, they, they, they can just say anything they want. Right. And, you know, for me, I'm just like, hey, I'd love to read the data and, you know, let's talk about it over a cigar. I'm always open for that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's good to question that. Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, it forces me to double-check a lot of the figures I use, I'll you know I'll, I'll get a figure from someplace and I'll do with you. That's where's this coming from? I got to support this because I know some reader somewhere is going to write to my editor or write someplace and say you know, well that's not true or how does he know this? Well I got to be able to respond to that and if I can't, uh, frankly I don't put it in. Yeah, I don't put it in because it's just not worth it. Right. Well let's let's go back a little bit further. How did you actually get into smoking cigars? <laughs> well. It, it started with a pipe, believe it or not, in college. Um, I first began smoking pipes, and in fact, my first book was The Ultimate Pipe Book, and uh, that did really well. But the reason I smoked a pipe was I, I thought it made me look smarter. So, <laughs> I, I mean, if you look at these old movies, you know, the professors and the, the, the hero and the, the, any, any good-looking guy with a full head of hair smoking a, smoking a pipe. Like, ah, yes, I started smoking a pipe, but I enjoyed it. I never have smoked cigarettes. I got to say, I, I I don't like cigarettes. I don't like the smoke. It's irritating. I know, and I've seen how they're made. And if people really wanted to stop cigarette smoking, they would just take everybody through a you know tour of the cigarette factory. It's terrible. Anyway, really? Yeah. Oh, it's awful. All the stuff they put in there, and they sweep stuff off the floor and throw it in the bin. Uh, anyhow, so I never have smoked them. I used to always, when I travel, I, I still ask for a non-smoking room. And uh, during the cigar boom, people, they would know me. They'd come up in the lobby and say, you know, I don't understand. You've, you've written all the stuff about pipes and cigars, and you've got non-smoking room. I said, yeah, I'll tell you why. Pipe smoke and cigar smoke is very pungent and it's much stronger than cigarettes, which are made to be mild and ingested. And, and as you know, we don't inhale as cigar smokers or, or pipe smokers. I said, so I'll never smoke a pipe or a cigar in my room. I'll smoke it on the balcony. But I'll smoke it outside, but I won't smoke it in a room where I'm sleeping. I'll smoke it in my den at home because it's got a high ceiling. But anyhow, so the whole... The whole point is, I think I forgot the point I was making, Rob, but we, oh, I got started. All right, so <laughs> pardon me if I drift off oh, that's a all right. few times. Well, I'm the same way. Whenever I go to a hotel or back when they had smoking hotels, I always got a non-smoking room just because the smell of stale smoke just is awful to me. And yep. so, and, you know, and, and I don't want to just sit in the motel room and smoke a cigar like you say out on the patio out on the balcony that's that's enjoying and relaxing to me i don't just smoke a cigar just to smoke a cigar that's what it's all about that's what that's what that's what non-smokers don't understand but that's exactly what it's all about but uh anyways to get back to your question so so i went from pipes i went to cigars uh, which frankly are a lot easier smoke. Uh, pipes you got to do, the, you got to fill the bowl just right, tamp it down, do the charring light, do and you know, it, and and you have to. You're always always tamping, lighting, puffing, tamping, light. Cigars, you take it, you clip it, you light it, you're on your way. And that to me was a much easier smoke than, as you say, it was just as satisfying. Um, and so I began, you know, smoking cigars. Um, my previous life was in marketing, and I got into uh, uh, one of the accounts I was working on was uh, Tinderbox International, which at that time was the largest pipe chain in the country. Oh, wow. 148 stores. And through them, that's how I met all these people and ended up being invited to go to the, you know, the, the, the factories, the fields. And so um, in 89... I wrote. I was writing for Playboy at that time because all the time I'm working, I'm I'm writing in the evenings. I've been writing ever since I've been published ever since I was 17. But you know, writers typically don't make a lot of money writing, so I had to have a day job. But I was still writing and getting published. And and one of the magazines was Playboy, and I did an article in 1989 called "Up in Smoke," and uh, that was the first major cigar article I think in any uh, American you know publication. At that time, and this is well before cigar aficionado or anything like that, and I got tons of mail, 
And, and the reason for the article, too, was that I had noticed the um, cigar smoker was changing. Uh, it was no longer the big guy with the, you know, the 17 chins, and he's driving a huge, giant, uh, you know, land canoe and, uh, you know, puffing away, and he's got a big three-piece suit. And, uh, it was a college kid. It was a younger guy. It was an executive. They were smoking better cigars. Uh, the embargo was in effect, so they were now smoking, you know, Dominican, Honduran, not so much Nicaraguan, because Nicaragua wasn't that big at that time. I see. Um, and, you know, hard to believe, but it wasn't. And then, uh, so I guess I wrote this article about, you know, up in smoke, about the change in the DNA of the American cigar smokers. So I got tons and tons of letters. That encouraged me to continue my research, continue making notes, and, uh, Finally, I figured, you know, I've got so much information, I can't write enough articles to cover all the stuff that I know. I'll do a book. And so that's how the book happened. And it happened right at the same time Cigar Aficionado came out, at the same time, and that all started the whole big cigar boom. And boy, then just, you know, the next, uh, what, five, six years, it was crazy. Now, I have to ask you, since you were writing for Playboy, did you ever have the opportunity to meet Mr. Hefner himself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a couple no of kidding. occasions, sure did. Did you get to smoke a cigar with him? He, no, he didn't do cigars. He did pipes. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, he was a big pipe smoker. In fact, I uh, I tried to buy one of his pipes off. You know, he had these pipes made with the Playboy bunny inset in the stem, you know, like the dog oh, yeah. got their dot in there. And uh, he had these custom-made pipes for him. I'm a pipe collector. And it's so funny, and this tells you a lot about Hef, too. I said, would you want to trade for one of your pipes, or can I buy one? And without a beat, he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even an open for discussion, was it? He wasn't about to give anything away that he had worked for. <laughs> That's a great story. So anyway, uh, let me ask you this. You said you made the switch from a pipe to a cigar. About what year was that? Uh, actually, to be honest, it was when the cigar book came out because I was <laughs> I was doing so many interviews um, that it'd be crazy to walk in with a pipe. And so, yeah, I just began smoking more and more cigars, you know, which is not a bad thing. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a trend I keep today. And, uh, but, and then a side story to that is my wife, who does not smoke at all, there would, there would come a point when some interviewer would ask her, you know, if she was, because, you know, she was in the room or whatever, and, well, you know, Mrs. Hacker, do you smoke a pipe? And she said, uh, finally, she said, you know, I better start smoking. I'm about a cigar, I mean. And, and she said, you know, I, I better start smoking a cigar just so I can answer yes. And so we uh, sat down with a bunch of cigars and a bunch of people I knew, and uh, she ended up with the Macanudo Portofino. Oh, wow. That was her favorite because it, came, it was a thin cigar, very elegant-looking, mild, and it came in a metal tube so she, she could carry it in her purse. Oh, nice. <laughs> so when you wrote that book, how did you make the transition to writing the book about Connoisseur's Guide to Worldwide Spirits? Well, as we all know, uh, most cigar smokers are whiskey drinkers, and uh, I mean, we appreciate our, our good things in life. And I got to say, I've been I've been drinking since. Well, I can say it now. It was before I was legal, <laughs> but um, it's the same deal. You start out with the cheap stuff, right? And one day somebody buys you a really good bourbon. They say, "Oh wow, I I can't go back to that other swill." And then you just start doing the same thing. You smoke better and better spirits. Um, I happen to like all spirits. I, I I drink pretty much anything over 11% alcohol, so uh, I, I don't do beer for some reason, uh, not too much. In, uh, in Europe I do, but not in America. I don't know why, I just don't. But uh, I've been doing the same thing with, with, with um, spirits, and I've been writing about spirits, and I've been going to the different distilleries in different countries. I go to Scotland and Japan, even before Japan, Japanese whiskey was you know as huge as it was today. And, uh, and I'm writing about whiskey now, for, uh, I've been writing for Rob Report, uh, which is a, a luxury magazine. I've been doing their whiskey stuff since 1995. Wow. And writing for Playboy on whiskeys uh, since, uh, you know, since 89. And, and um, I don't write for Playboy anymore now because they've changed their whole thing, so I've stopped doing that. But anyhow, again, I've been amassing so much information on spirits. 
and I knew all these distillers. They're just like a, a parallel to the cigar story. I just knew the distillers. We'd go out, we would drink, we'd talk, and most of these guys are cigar smokers too, which is how I made a transition to a lot of them. Where they, you know, they they wouldn't meet any reporter or any writer or any book author, but they said, oh. Oh, oh, Richard, yeah, he did the cigar book. Well, bring him over. Well, so I got to the distillery. Anyhow, I ended up, always wanted to do a book that had a chapter devoted to every spirit in the world. And there wasn't any. I mean, you could. there are great bourbon books you can buy. You can buy great malt whiskey books uh, but and, and vodka books. Yeah. But there isn't a book that has a chapter on everything from gin to baijo to, you know, cachaca to rum. So I wrote that book. I wrote the book I always wanted. And it just came out, I guess, what, two years ago. And... Uh, like I said, the chapter on every spirit in the world. There's like, I don't know, 444 photographs, most of which I took uh, on my travels. So, yeah, if you buy that. You took most of these photos? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're fantastic. I'm, I'm actually looking through the book right now, and I was thinking, wow, you've made a lot of great travels to get all these photos. Thank you. I did, and I love it. And I'm still doing it, too. It's great. I love my life. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. Uh, I'm actually looking through the book, and I'll tell you, you nailed it right on the head. Uh, I actually thought that I didn't like bourbon because the only bourbon I had had in the past was like, you know, Jack Daniels, Jim Beam. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure everybody has their own palate, but I just never cared for those. And then some uh, good friends of mine brought me some E.H. Uh, e. Taylor uh, bonded. Ah. And man, I fell in love with that. And then uh, just the other night, a friend brought over some Four Roses small batch. It was fantastic. And so, you know, I found that I do like bourbon. I just like the little bit better bourbon than just the, the off. <laughs> well, that's the only kind of bourbon to, to drink, Rob. And the, the, the Four Roses is really a it's, a, it's a, it's a great story. It's kind of like the un, the unsung song. It's a superb bourbon. Uh, most bartenders that I know, and I know a lot of them, they do the yellow label for cocktails. Um, but I love the small batch just for sipping and drinking. And they, they, they've got a, a limited edition small batch, too, which comes out, uh, which is a little heatier, a little, little, um, little more punch to it. But the regular Four Roses small batch, to me, that, a cube of ice and a big glass. <laughs> and uh, you're all set. I mean, yeah, I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed it. Uh, that was uh, the second time I've had it. And then uh, you guys, gracious enough, sent me a bottle. I'm going to be sharing that with some friends this coming weekend. And uh, anyway, tell me about the uh, scotch that you sent me. The, is it Ardbeck? Ardbeck, yeah. Ardbeck. Uh, that's an interesting story. It, uh, it It's one of the uh, Isla whiskeys. Everybody pronounces it Islay. It's not. It's I-S-L-A-Y, but, you know, like most Gaelic words, they're not pronounced like they look, but it's Isla. Isla is an island off of the uh, western coast of Scotland, and it's foggy, and it's cold. I, I love it. I just love it. And of course, I live in Southern California, where it's always sunny and warm. So going to Isla, to me, is the opposite end of uh, extremes. And it's great. I mean, you, you can get there by uh, a really rocky ferry boat ride or a really bumpy airplane ride you know there's no roads leading to it and you're sometimes wondering if you're going to leave the island because the fog comes in the winds are blowing but all of this creates a really unique kind of a single malt um and they're all smoky to various degrees because 90 percent of that island is made of peat which is you know that fossilized um, plant life that's been compressed prehistoric stuff and, and the, the way they dry the malted barley is they actually have a guy go out with a shovel and he shovels off the top layers of the stuff and they dry it out and they burn it and the smoke from that comes through the malted barley and dries it out and that's why the malted barley tastes smoky and some whiskeys are smokier than others because you can control the amount of smoke so Ardbeg, to my taste, is probably the smokiest single malt out there. Now, it's running a room neck and neck with Lagavulin. Uh, Lafroig has got a little more medicinal iodine kind of taste because it's closer. You know, it gets more of that sea foam splashing against their warehouse, which permeates the barrels in there. But uh, Ardbeg 
um, is right in the middle of that. It's smoky. It's got kind of a sweet smoke. The the 10-year-old is the smokiest, believe it or not, because the the older Ardbeg gets, the the uh, sweeter and slightly, I don't want to use the word tame, but less intense smoke you get. They just released a, a 19-year-old Ardbeg, which is something else. I think I think it's 100 bucks. Um Whereas their regular ten year old was like fifty bucks, oh, okay. uh, which is a heck of a bargain. But the uh, the, the older it gets, you get the sweetness. So yeah, I just, I just had a uh, a glass of the nineteen year old the other day, and just a wonderful sweet smoke. But for me, I got to smoke it when there's a chill in the air. Hopefully, a fire in the fireplace. Um, you know, that's and and, uh, and and a fairly medium strong cigar. Then I'm good. Okay. Well, I I haven't tried that one yet. Uh, I'm waiting till I have the right cigar and right companionship to uh, try that one. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, someone was telling me the reason they use the peat is because they don't have the coal. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. There's no coal there. Yeah. The, the peat is plentiful, and uh, it used to be free. Now, of course, you have to pay for it, and uh, and it's becoming an endangered species. I uh, know on the mainland. Scotland's mainland. I think it's uh, pretty well regulated. You can't harvest peat, uh, certainly not like it used to. Whereas on Ira, you still can do that. But you know, again, there's only so much of it. You know, so um, it, it, it's kind of a, a dwindling commodity, but an important one. I see. So if you haven't had a peaty scotch in the past, what what one would you recommend to a beginner uh, to try something that's peaty? Oh, I'd, I'd go in gingerly. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you one just comes to mind. Uh, Talisker, 10 years old. Talisker doesn't come from Isla. It comes from an island called Skye, you know, S-K-Y-E. Um, there's two distilleries on there. Talisker's one of them. And that's a really light, uh, gentle peatiness. I could do that, or I would recommend uh, Balvini is, is a light peaty smoky taste so those things are pretty safe okay good to know and also i just wanted to point out to our listeners uh if you guys want to learn from the master definitely look and i was going to ask you where these books are available for purchase uh the ultimate cigar book where would they find that uh, they can get both those books uh that and the world the connoisseur's guide to worldwide spirits on uh, amazon.com it's got the best prices okay uh but usually your bookstore either has it or can order it. Uh, Barnes & Noble Online has it, I think. But I know Amazon sells a ton of those books. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I order everything that I need in life from Amazon. <laughs> well, it's guaranteed. That's the neat part about it. Right. And I tell you what, I'm excited about looking through both of these books. Uh, the uh, Ultimate Cigar Book, I am planning on reading cover to cover this week. And then this Connoisseur's Guide to Worldwide Spirits, I'm really interested. And I tell you what, just thumbing through it, the uh, information and the photos that you did are amazing. I'm really impressed. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's interesting. The, the publisher originally just wanted 75 photographs. I said, I can't do 75 photographs. I said, I've got more than 75 spirits in the book. So, I, so, I, so that's why I sent them over 100. And by golly, they, thanks to them, they used them. I was afraid they weren't going to, but they used, they used all the photographs. I love the photographs because it's like you're taking the person on the journey with you. That's why I put those in there. And every time I take a shot, and believe me, there's a lot that I toss out that I said, oh man, what was I thinking? But every time I take a shot that I like, this, I want people to be here. I want them to see it, you know, and, and if they can't be with me, at least I can show them what I'm seeing through the camera. Yeah. And, uh, anyone who's listened to this episode, I'll put a link down below and they'll be able to just go straight to Amazon where these books are available as well. Oh, it's very kind of you. Thank you. I am really enamored with what you have done. <laughs> and also I'll tell you what, the photos in the uh, the cigar book, I love these too because some of them are newer photos, but some of them are from back when you started, and I love that because... It, <laughs> yeah, there's some really good vintage ones in there. Yeah, it kind of uh, takes you back in time. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, no, I didn't take a lot of those, like King Edward the Seventh. I didn't take that. I wasn't alive then, so I'm not that well, old. Well, yeah, I saw the uh, photo of <laughs> King Edward, so I'm pretty sure you didn't do that one. Oh, no. 
So, but yeah, a lot of the other ones, uh, of course, I was I was there, and uh, the ones in Cuba, of course, those are from the nineties. Uh, my first trip, I've been, I used to go back every year. I haven't been back for three years now, but I just go back for every year. But those are, yeah, they're pretty vintage stuff. There's a great photo. I forget the page. I want to say 92, but I'm not sure. But there's a photo of some leaves being planted and, uh, you know, tobacco leaves and uh, baby leaves. And these these are uh, planted in a valley that Carlito Fuente had acquired. And in the first three editions of the book, it just says, you know, new tobacco plants being, you know, planted in the Fuente field. That's all it says because when Carlito and his workers are out, we were planting these these little tobacco leaves back in this well, back in I guess ninety one because before the book came out. And he said, Oh please, 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 Richard, don't don't say where this is because I don't think it's gonna work. It's an experiment and we're just trying it. Well, those leaves uh, turned out to be Opus X. No kidding. <laughs> and so now in the fourth book, fourth edition, that's the first time I actually identified them because, you know, it's history now. But those are the very first photographs ever taken of the Opus X tobacco leaves being planted. And that valley is now what has become the Chateau de la Fuente, where, you know, the, one of the prime growing regions in the DR. Wow. So I was actually there witnessing history being made. And that's, that's part of the cool thing of what I do. I just love doing it. Let me ask you this, Richard. Have you ever thought about doing a documentary on everything that you've done? <laughs> um, a couple of people have, have suggested that to me, and uh, I'm not opposed to that. I just need someone who wants to do it. But, yeah, it'd be fun, be fun to do because I've, uh, I've, I've been around long enough. Yes, I'm still standing on this side of the, of the ground, so, yeah, it'd be <laughs> kind of fun. From the pictures and the information in the book, it looks like a great documentary that I know I would definitely sign up for. So if there's anybody listening out there that wants to uh, promote or be a promoter or a financier of the uh, documentary, definitely hit Richard up. Great. No, that would be fun. Yeah, if I'd like to do that, that would... Uh... Well, there, you know, there's not a lot of guys, well, I don't know any guys that have the kind of uh, knowledge, and uh, especially of the history of where the tobacco industry has, you know, been and where they are now. So we'd love to see that. But I'll tell you what, man, this this book, just, just the titles of each chapter, I'm like, yeah, I definitely, this is a book that I wish I would have had six years ago. <laughs> Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. And like I said, the reason I, I wrote both of these books, because they were the books I wanted when I was just starting out. It would have made life so much easier. But then again, I wouldn't have been able to have written these books, so I guess it all worked out. Well, let me ask you this. What's your opinion on the new styled humidors that basically they've converted winadors into humidors? Yeah, that, you know, um, I the jury's kind of out. It should work. I don't know why it wouldn't, because, uh, you know, you, you store wine at, at 55 degrees or 52 degrees Fahrenheit, and at 70% humidity, and you store cigars at 70% humidity, but also you put that at 70, 75 degrees temperature. Now, that's the difference. Um, that's the difference, because... Not that the cigars wouldn't store in a wine cooler. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, um, even though I advise people not to do this, I have three home humidors desktop that are full of cigars that I smoke here. But then I have so many cigars, I keep some in my wine locker, you know, which I rent. And what happens, it doesn't ruin the cigars by any means, doesn't destroy them, keeps them humidified. But by being in a colder environment, they will age more slowly. So you're oh, not okay. Gonna, you're not going to get them aging the way they would have in a regular humidor. Ah, I, that makes sense. So let me ask you this. Uh, I'm considering you our go-to source expert now. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, you're only an expert when you think you know it all, and I'm the first guy to admit I don't know it all. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. You, you have a world of knowledge that I don't have. So I want to know what you think is the cause of a cigar to tunnel burn? Oh, well, a couple things. It could be and usually is improper humidification. So you don't have the same amount of humidity down that whole wrapper leaf. A wrapper binder actually would work in tandem. It's funny that you say that because that's exactly what my 
uh, guess was. Yeah. I was guessing that the outer wrapper and the binder yep. was more moist than the center. That would cause it to, to tunnel burn or, or, or canoe, as they call it. And, and then another reason, uh, you can control that part by humidifying the cigar before all this happens. Once it happens, it's kind of too late. Uh, but another reason, too, is the roller has used improperly fermented tobacco. And that's something you can't control. He just did a bad job or got a bad crop. And that can happen when the veins aren't right or the, the texture of the leaf isn't right. Someone didn't pick the leaf they should have for that cigar. Uh, it will burn hotter and faster on, you know, on a portion, and you get that, that tunneling. So that's, that's another – those are two reasons. But – Keeping cigars properly humidified can solve a lot of your problems. Then the other question I have, and I, you know, when you get a cigar that the draw is just way too tight or non-existent, yep. is it okay to repair that by skewing it with a tool? <laughs> well, I don't mean to laugh, but, you know, during the boom, there was all these devices that came out, uh, which did just that, they, you know, as a plastic thing that went through the cigar. There was all, you know, knitting needles that put through the cigar. I, and i got to tell you, I've, I've tried them all, and I can tell you, Rob, they don't work. I have not had any of them work. I've had a couple of them where you push it through the cigar halfway, and then all of a sudden, whoop, the wrapper splits. You know, you're, you're pushing right, all that right. filler tobacco out against the binder and the wrapper, and something just gives way. Basically, if, if a cigar smokes too tight, I will, I just thought you, well, you can't keep it lit. I, I put it down, and I get another cigar. It, you know, clipping off the end, oh, it's going to get better halfway through. No, no, it's not. <laughs> not. You're just going to get mad, you're going to get frustrated. Um, if you can, take it back to the tobacconist. If you haven't, you know, charred it up so much that it's not recognizable. But uh, most tobacconists I've come across, I've, I've done, they take the cigars roll too tight. Can I just have another one? You know, I don't want my money back. I just want another cigar that the right. same kind that's real better. And they'll usually do that. Yeah, don't take it back after you smoke. Well, yeah, no, no, no. It's that stuff, yeah. But <laughs> don't you take a few puffs or you just clip them. Let's say you just clipped it and you, you, you can't get a draw. Yeah, just stop right there. It's not, it's not going to get better. I have a very understanding wife, and she understands my whole reasoning for smoking cigars is when I want to relax. And she has seen me smoke a cigar, and it was too tight, and I get frustrated. And she gave me the best advice of anyone, and the advice was throw that one away and start another one. There you go, a wise woman. That's right. She's like, you know what? Life's too short. Don't mess with it. Just get a new cigar. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there. You know, I'm, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to enjoy this. Well, you know, and, and, and the worst part is, let's say it's the only, you know, uh, Opus X you've got. Of course, it wouldn't happen with an Opus X, I can guarantee you. Let's say it's the, it's the whatever it is, Brand X. Uh, just, yeah, forget it. Get, get something else. With so many cigars coming out these days, what's what's a cigar that you would recommend that maybe we don't know about? Well, that's a toughie. Um, I know. I decided to throw you a curveball there. <laughs> that's a toughie. Uh, I tell you, one of the most intriguing ones to me, uh, that I, you know, I went to the, uh, the IPCPR, the trade show. Uh, the ones you don't know about is tough because I think everybody knows everything about all the new cigars thanks to the internet. But uh, there's the American, which is made by J.C. Newman. Yeah, and I have not had that one yet. That's the first all-American cigar to made uh, decades in this country. I just give those guys credit for for doing it. Um, that was the most intriguing to me. But uh, anything that my father's cigar puts out, anything that Padron puts out, anything that Fuente puts out. These are really safe cigars. They're good cigars. It all depends on what kind of a strength factor you're looking for, you know. But the, uh, of all the new cigars, I mean, there's a couple of really, really those, those, those are my those are my go-to cigars that I really like. Um, but gosh, there's so many uh, you just can't keep up with the stuff. Now, let me ask you this: Did you? notice like over the years how your palate changed from you know from when you started to like six months in to a year in to five years in uh did, did you notice that journey as well yes that is and it still changes uh but it's not consistent uh, because 
sometimes, well, I, I used to smoke mild, and then you go to medium, then you go to heavy, and then you go back to mild. I don't smoke mild cigars much anymore, but I do vary from medium to medium heavy. And then every once in a while, I'll go like a real heavy one. But, you know, that's not all the time. I don't smoke heavy cigars all the time. It's, it's, it's almost, to me, it's almost like too much. You want to come back. You want to come back to it and, you know, let everything rest for a while. So, yeah, and it's like whiskey, too, and spirits. Um, I'll, I'll drink more bourbon and dark spirits, single malts, in the uh, wintertime. And I'll do more tequila in the summertime see i'm i have never really been a tequila drinker and the few times i have had tequila it was not a good experience and probably because i was drinking cheap tequila that's exactly i just finished an article for rob report online uh, it's not been posted yet but i have other articles on tequila that you can find online but in this article i and i shouldn't you know tell you what i've written before it's been posted but i basically <laughs> say Today's tequilas are so much better than what they were doing back, you know, in the John Wayne days. He'd take a dusty bottle off the back bar, pop the cork with his teeth, and, you know, chug down, you know, half a gallon. Uh, those days are gone. That's, I mean, a lot of us started like that in college. But today's tequilas are, some have got the texture of a cognac. Some, are, they're just wonderful, meaty things. I found five of them that were really, really great, and I put that in this article, which whenever it comes out, uh, <laughs> I guarantee you it won't be tomorrow. It'll be like a month from now uh, on robreport.com. But you can find a lot of my stuff on robreport.com. Uh, okay. Anyhow, yeah, the, 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 a lot of us have had that experience. You buy a cheap tequila, and boy, boy, you don't forget that. Yeah, I'm not going back to that stuff. Well, once you smoke, just like cigars, once you smoke, a good cigar, you're not going to go back to the bad stuff. If you ever have, like, a Patron tequila, a Blanco, you're not going to, you know, drink inexpensive tequila again. You'll drink another brand of good El Tesoro. I mean, there's an unsung sleeper. Great tequilas and uh, not expensive. And um, the Blanco is fantastic. I just uh, I had dinner with the master distiller, and we had a, we had a Reposado which is basically the Blanco that's been aged for 11 months in bourbon barrels. And, I mean, you could just drink that all night. I, I don't really? Re- yeah, I don't recommend that, but we, you, we did, <laughs> and, you, and you can. <laughs> now, see, I don't know anything about tequila, and you said the Blanco tequila. Now, is that Blanco related to the Blanco family in cigars? <laughs> no, not at all, no. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, Bl- Blanco means white, and uh, Blanco is basically... An unaged tequila, so uh, they take the agave distillate right out of the stills, and uh, and they they filter it, of course, and they bottle it. You know, it's clear. But then when oh, you okay. start to age it, of course, it's aged in you know oak barrels, so it picks up color. And the longer you age it, the deeper the color, the deeper the taste. But you'll find all that in that tequila chapter. You'll see all of that stuff. Okay, great, man. I look forward to that. Let me ask you this. Do you ever go out on book tours? Yeah, I used to do that a lot with the cigar stuff. I haven't done it so much recently just because I've been writing so much. But, yeah, I, I still do book tours, and I do whiskey and cigar seminars. Yep, you bet. Okay, well, I just wanted to invite you. Uh, I don't know what your schedule looks like next year, but we're going to be doing the West Texas Cigar Fest in April of 2020, and we're going to have a uh, lot of cigar vendors there. We're going to have music there. We'll have spirits there. And so if you find an opening on your uh, calendar, maybe you could join us. Well, I appreciate that, Rob. Send me some information on that. I think you've got my email, or if not, send me yours, and I'll. You know. Yeah, I'll I'll send you all the details on it. We'd love to have you there, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people could come by and see your book and let, actually meet you in person. Oh, that'd be great. Love to do that. Thank you for joining us for the show. We appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else you want to tell us before we go? I think you've asked all the uh, pertinent questions. No, I just just keep drinking, keep smoking. <laughs> that's one of the things you know a uh, long time ago my dad said find something you're good at it and stick to it uh, but in moderation you gotta add that moderation in moderation that's correct amen okay <laughs> well thank you so much rob i really enjoyed it absolutely and we appreciate you, you sending us a copy of the books and the four roses and the scotch and uh, i'll get back to you and let you know what we thought about those and uh, we look forward to visiting again with you sometime all right take care take care richard 
Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that interview with Richard Carlton Hacker. Love the book. If you uh, want to check it out, you can go to Amazon. Uh, they carry everything, so they do carry the book. Anyway, uh, I want to talk for just a minute. Uh, I was telling Bryant earlier about this new trolley car that's been turned into a cigar bar and coffee shop, and it's called Number 14, and it's in uh, uh, Norfolk. Virginia. Anyway, uh, they took a trolley car, decked it out, made it look really authentic, uh, restoration, and they've made it into a cigar shop. And so I think that's super cool. We kind of have a hidden gem in Big Spring, Texas. It's kind of like that, uh, the train car cigar bar. And so if you haven't listened to some of our previous episodes when we talked about train car, uh, it's actually in a train car, the bar in the humidor, and then the uh, lounge car is uh, like a real plush leather chairs and it seats about 25 people. Anyway, I just love that idea. It's kind of nostalgia. Uh, have you ever been to anything like that? No, I haven't, but I'm sitting there looking at pictures of this uh, number 14. That's that, cool, isn't that it? That looks cool, man. I like how they had the outdoor seating right outside of it. It would it would draw me in. It really would yeah. draw me in. Yeah, you know, when I first saw it, I thought it actually rode around town. <laughs> and I was like, that'd be kind of rough drinking yes. your coffee. But uh, no, I think it's super cool. I love it when people do businesses like that. Most definitely. And uh, it's a really cool area. They've got some outdoor seating. The trolley car has a humidor inside. You can go in and pick out a cigar. Then they have great coffee, which you know I'm a huge fan of. And so you can just hang out on the patio yes. and smoke a good stick. That's it. And I love the fact that they're allowing them to do this out in the open and public mm-hmm. because so many cities in America are going to where you can't smoke in public. You got to change that stigma. Yeah. I mean, and it's like we talked about earlier mm-hmm. on that uh, report Reported. from Detroit, you yeah. know, lumping cigars into general tobacco does not work for me. Not it me. just shows you're not educated. True. So, uh, and to say that, let's go ahead and jump on Cigar Rights of America. Again. You know, if you're Speak. not a member, you got to join up. 25 bucks, two premium cigars, and you're helping support the cause to sustain this lifestyle that we enjoy. It's the brotherhood, the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they don't look at when they look at cigars. No, because you envision, like we said earlier, uh, Lumping us in with all tobacco, and you envision cigarette smokers and chewing tobacco, vaping, but it's not that. It's nowhere no, near not that. at all. It's not that community. It's not that environment. It's not that mindset. It's totally separate, and it's something that allows us to uh, to come together for like mind, which is uh, smoking a good stick and conversate, know people, you know, enjoy your time somewhere. I, I love it because it's my it's my it's my breakdown time. When I get done with uh, my job, I go sit in the leaf. <sighs> Absolutely, man. And that's one of the things, I mean, I'm on call mm-hmm. twenty four hours a day, but in the evening when I can go down to the leaf, yeah, relax and enjoy a good cigar and just hang out with friends. Come man. on. Come on. You know what I mean? It's like I love smoking a good stick, but at the same time did you just go dark? Yeah. <laughs> We're doing video live as well, and uh, the studio light for Bryant just went dark. But anyway, uh, hanging out with friends, that's really what it's about for me. Yes. Uh, so many good conversations and just getting to know people on a level that you don't get to know people anywhere else. And you have that commonality, which is the smoke, and it brings you together. Right. That's what it does. So. so anyway, guys, uh, now we want to go over how to become a McAuliffe ambassador. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, for you ambassadors out there that may be going to the uh, Cigar Fest and Spirits Fest in Fort Worth at Panther Island on October 12th, mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you a little hint. Make sure you bring your coin. Come on. Come on. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Come on. So and if you're not an ambassador. All you have to do is look down below on this episode, yes. click on the link for the ambassador program. Mm-hmm. It just says right there in plain white lettering, <laughs> become a McAuliffe ambassador. How simple do you, you have to You click on that and then <laughs> you just fill out a little bit of information yes, and they send you a coin with your own number. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny. Did you hear Vic's answer? Yes. <laughs> He didn't know the number, but he knew it was lower than mine. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> Thanks, Vic. Anyway, yeah, go by their website, fill it out. 
you'll get your own coin. And if you haven't seen the coins, man, they're nice. Yes, they, they have changed, too. Yeah, they've yes. changed throughout the different mm-hmm. generations of coins. Yep. I think I saw someone post the other day at like 2578. Wow. 2578. Wow. And you know what? I see them taking care of everyone. From yes. the, you know what? Speaking of that. I want to know who's number Me one. Me too. Me too. I, I wonder if is it Al. That's what I was gonna say. Is Al number one? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you're number one, send me an email yes. and let me know. Yes. In fact, if you're in the top ten, send me an yeah. email and let me know. I want to know who these guys are. Yes, I need to know. Yeah. Cause then I'll know people lower than Brian. <laughs> anyway, uh that's gonna wrap it up for this week's show. Before we go, hey, how are you enjoying that? Uh, Man, stick? this stick is it's it it it, it amazed me. I, I anticipated one thing and got something totally different. I thought it was gonna be bold, but it's more medium. Uh, I, I'm getting a lot of spices from the retro hails, and that's that, I, I'm just loving it. I'm truly loving it, man. Well, I'm smoking this Padron 1964, and I gotta tell you. It's good. I know. Oh, we know. <laughs> you know we what? Know. And you know what? It's really a medium cigar. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's got some leather, some earthy notes, okay. and some coffee. Oh. And, yeah. And I would say there's just a little bit of hint of spice. It's not real spicy. Mm-hmm. And But it smokes really yeah. nice. That's a Padron. Yeah, exactly. Padron, baby. <laughs> so anyway, guys, we hope you enjoyed this week's show. Yes. I know it was a little crazy because we tried something new on taking phone calls. Yes. Let us know what you think about that, if we should do it more often or if we should stay away. Or should we get a little bit better at it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's part of it, too. But uh, anyway, guys, until next time, keep smoking. Keep smoking.